This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. This thing held up to us is an impossible ideal. And, you know, we chase it. It's like the horizon. We think we're getting closer to it. It just gets further and further away from us. And in the chasing of it, uh, we lose the opportunity to to not think about who I should be, but to think about uh, who I really am. And it's really that, that shift away from the impossible ideal that we're told to embody, that normality represents, to, to the reality that difference is what constitutes our humanity. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Very excited for today's show, which is called Normal Still Sucks. I am happy to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Jonathan Mooney, who is a dyslexic writer, speaker, and do-gooder who did not learn to read until 12 years old. Jonathan is widely sought after to speak around the world. He's been featured in the New York Times, the LA Times, Chicago Tribune, USA Today, HBO, NPR, ABC News, and the list goes on. Jonathan's created and has been involved in numerous social impact projects such as Eye to Eye, Streetcraft LA, and Co-Parenter, which is the first app designed to help separating divorced and never married parents communicate, manage, and organize everyday co-parenting responsibilities. Jonathan is the author of Normal Sucks, How to Live, Learn, and Thrive Outside the Lines. Also author of Learning Outside the Lines and The Short Bus, A Journey Beyond Normal. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. It's nice to be back with you, man. Um, gosh. It's that was a long to, intro. Yeah. It was a long intro. It's a long intro. Yeah. All right, man. That concludes the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> I was going to tell everyone, anyways, they need to hear the first two shows uh, that we've done two and four years ago Normal Sucks and No More Shame. So, you guys just go listen to that and we're good. All right, man. So, anyways, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no man i'm i'm uh i'm i'm doing well i'm doing well and and uh i really i really do appreciate uh obviously the opportunity to to be on your program uh and chat with you but but more importantly i appreciate the good work that you do in the world uh it matters and it and it matters uh, more than ever thanks man appreciate that and uh we're gonna be talking about the great work that you're doing um and and i let's start with 
you know, before the show, we dropped like, okay, last 18 months, uh, people who will be listening to this when it drops, we are, you know, towards the end. Well, we're hopefully winding down in this pandemic and life is starting to open up. Uh, there seems to be some normalcy, uh, but we still have a, have a ways to go here. So just what's it been like for you and, and your family, your full family? Well, we've been, you know, we've been in the, in, in the, in the thick of it, man. Um, I, I have, uh, three, three kids, three boys. Um, uh, my oldest is 14. I have a almost 12 year old and, uh, I have a nine year old and, uh, you know, I had spent, <laughs> uh, for the last 20 years, you know, about uh, 150 uh, days a year traveling and speaking, mm-hmm. uh, which came to a <laughs> abrupt halt on on uh, on March fourteenth, twenty twenty, which was the last public presentation I did in person. And uh, we were uh, thrust into you know uh, a new uh, a new reality over the last eighteen months, and uh, it's been a, a, a challenging experience. Uh, goes without saying, as it as it has been for so many. Uh, it's been a, a, a time of reflection and a, and a learning opportunity, uh, both you know personally in terms of of uh, what what matters in, in my life, how I live my life, how we think about family, uh, and then it's been a, a an opportunity to reflect on on you know our systems, um, our practices, and yeah. uh, paradoxically, it's been a, a time to reflect on this notion of normal. And uh, what does it mean for us to seek normality? Did didn't did was normal working all that well <laughs> to, to right. begin with? Uh, right. And uh, should we be uh, trying to reestablish uh, uh, normal, or should we be trying to to imagine something something new? And 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 I strongly believe in the latter as it pertains to uh, uh, inequality in our uh, in our culture uh, uh, ingrained. Uh, racism, sexism, and ableism. Uh, Normal is not good enough. And uh, I've come out of this 18 months uh, even more affirmed in the need to, to, uh, to reimagine uh, how we, how we, how we live, how we learn. Yeah. You know, as, as there's been so much uh, pain and loss uh, at so many levels um, related to the pandemic and also related uh, to I mean, human lives and social justice and um, equality and you know all that you had mentioned. Um, what what do you think this shakeup like? What are you seeing for the opportunity with this shakeup? Given given like who you are and what you do, and for those people who know Jonathan, he's a champion for neurodiversity and one of the primary things you go around the world speaking about. So what what have you seen as opportunity with this shakeup? I think there's opportunity on 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 the institution systems front, and then on the sort of cultural front. Um, on the system side, uh, you know, we have um, been up close and personal as parents mm-hmm. uh, doing home learning uh, with our children. I know we all are on different parts of that continuum, but pretty much the entire country has experience that. And, uh, I think we've had the opportunity to see how sort of thin, uh, the approach to learning is when you strip away 
the social, emotional, non-cognitive, and frankly, childcare function of school. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've seen, you know, via Zoom is is a uh, dissemination of content. Um, and unfortunately, uh, what I've learned from that, and I've believed it before, but it was uh, affirmed on a more visceral level, is we as a, a country can't uh, anchor our education system in disseminating content. Uh, content's everywhere now. You know, who, who thinks you know more history facts than the iPhone in my pocket, right? Mm-hmm. And content is being delivered in more compelling ways than a traditional lecture uh, on social channels, uh, on uh, edutainment sort of places. So if we come out of this uh, doing the same thing we we used to do, which is anchor our education system in disseminating content and building basic skills, we will have missed an opportunity to evolve our approach to learning and more importantly to involve what we think of as the purpose of learning in, in the 21st century. So I'm heartened uh, mm-hmm. that we have an opportunity to to come together as a broad coalition because that normal not working um, is, is a broad experience. Obviously, uh, it's not working for folks who have been historically marginalized and disenfranchised because of institutionalized racism and ableism. Uh, but it's also not working for the gifted kid, and it's not working for the for the suburban kid who's quote unquote doing school. Um, it's just not working. This mm-hmm. idea that school and learning is about memorization of facts and figures, and and we need to strive and aspire to something bigger. Absolutely, and um, and and this it seems in my experience uh, with my kids and our clients, my clients' clients at the center. It's like this: the, what what virtual school or online learning. And, you know, when you said, you know, home learning, I would, I was kind of chuckling. It's like, you know, it's debatable how many people uh, actually felt their kids learned depending on, <laughs> depending on the format. Um, it really allowed this kind of f- like a free year or a free year and a half. It's like, no one's getting ahead. Um, nothing was working regularly. And so people were able to um, go off I think a lot of people had the courage to be able to step outside the lines, actually to use one of your terms, step outside the lines with more courage because it's it's hard to leave that system that tells you the only way to be successful is to be on this road this way. Yeah, and and it's and it's hard to not just extricate yourself from the the system but also the 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 culture that uh, that system creates. Uh, you know, we are social animals, and so uh, if we're uh, immersed in a in a in a system in which uh, you know everyone is in an arms race for AP classes and in an arms race for you know advanced cello orchestras, it's hard to uh, to your point re- resist that as a parent and as a human. So mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm that this uh, year has been a sort of rupture in the um, achievement space-time continuum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah. it's given us an opportunity to reframe, you know, what is uh, not success for our kids, but what is thriving for our kids. And, and those two things are very different. You know, we, we all know what, what our culture calls success, right? It's, it's a, a, a prestigious undergraduate degree and a high paying job. But, but, but we also know from, from 
positive psychology movement and others that well, many of the most successful people are the most miserable people. <laughs> so we, <laughs> yeah. we, we got, we got to shift it from yeah. succeeding to thriving and, and thriving is, is different. And I think uh, this year has given us an opportunity to really uh, clarify what thriving is, clarify the social conditions, cultural conditions and systemic conditions necessary for thriving and that should be something that we, and I'm using the kind of big we here, mm-hmm. advocate for moving forward. Yeah. Um, a re-prioritizing um, of, of what we think uh, childhood should be about um, and, and subsequently what we think uh, uh, education should be about as the core system that we have in place that informs young people's uh, experiences in, in growth and development. And and I and I I gather you have some thoughts about what that would look like, and I was wondering if you might share that with us. Well, look, you know, um, one of the things that that is a bright spot that I've seen a- around the country um, in in my virtual engagements, which I have been doing many of, and in in some ways more than uh, in a more traditional. Uh, in-person experience. Um, I celebrated 20 years in 2020 as, a, as an advocate. Um, my, my first book came out in 2000 and I embarked uh, on uh, speaking engagements around the country free of cost uh, at that point, partly because no one would pay me. Very generous. Who the hell are you, dude? Like, okay, yeah. you come for free. So in recognition of, of uh, the more work we have to do and in celebration of 20 years, I I put out a call to, to anyone saying, Hey, you know, five people in a zoom, I'll come and talk to you all for free. And so I've done, you know, upwards of 50 free presentations across the country Mm. over the last year, virtually. And what I'm seeing as a bright spot is this opportunity, um, for, for young people and their families and school to, to a lesser extent, but nonetheless school to put front and center, uh, young people's interests, passions, talents and subsequently their sense of purpose in their education mm. you know i'll give you a good example of that um i i volunteer my time uh, here in los angeles uh, and and help create a, uh, a learning pod at the beginning of the pandemic for a low-income primarily monolingual spanish-speaking families uh, down in wilmington which is a rough part of town here and uh, we put center to that experience of the learning pod not the Zooms that LAUSD was putting forth, but but a curriculum around surfacing people's interests, talents, and strengths, and helping them build a learning journey around those interests and talents. And these young folks uh, are are succeeding under traditional academic me- metrics, but more importantly, thriving. So I think that idea of of let's put front and center uh, passion projects, um, strengths assessments, and, and ultimately the opportunity for every single young person to have a learning journey around their interests. That, that is the design principle for education in the 21st century. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, I did see your, uh, your, your 20, your 20 year anniversary. I did get that through, uh, media and that, that's an awesome milestone. And also I got that you were just reaching out to everyone, um, who would, who would take you as like, Hey, let me, let me offer, um, my time. And so uh, that is a big part of your life. And as I talked about these social impact projects, you, you give a lot. Um, so thank you for that. 
I also wanted to uh, quick shout out about Wilmington. My uh, dad's been an optometrist in Wilmington for at least 50 years. So wow. uh, I know, I know that uh, I know they've been uh, like working hard to, um, to real. I mean, it's just, it's, it's actually changed quite a bit over the years for, uh, from a lot of good projects that have gone into it. Well, it's, um, it, it's uh, a community at the sort of, uh, you know, apex of, of the isms that plague mm-hmm. our society, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the, the environmental uh, degradation from the port uh, and uh, from the refining uh, fossil fuel industry located there, um, housing segregation, uh, redlining um, in a different sense around sort of Latino neighborhoods. Uh, and it's um, a place where, where, you know, my mom has worked uh, over the last uh, 20 years around social justice because my mom um, has spent her entire life fighting for social equity and change. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, um, it's a, a, a microcosm of, of what we all need to do better uh, to build a more inclusive world. So one of the things I was going to ask you is where you, uh, where this drive for social justice comes from. And uh, I know your mother has been very significant in your life in many ways. And uh, I imagine here is another way. Yeah, look, my uh, my mom, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, I struggled in school, diagnosed with dyslexia, uh, a whole bunch of behavior, executive functioning challenges as well, ADHD, etc. Um, and uh, you know, I I survived that experience because of of numerous uh, meaningful adults in my life um, and opportunities, but 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 uh, first and foremost because of my mom. You know, my mom. Um, is an advocate for me, you know, um, my mom's a quick character, you know, she's, she, she's like, you know, four eleven, a little Irish bulldog. And she, uh, has a high pitched squeaky voice like Minnie Mouse. And, and she curses like a truck driver, you know, and you, you, uh, you did not want cursing Minnie Mouse in your face, you know, if, uh, you were doing, doing her son wrong. Um, and, and that's, uh, what my mom did for me. You know, my mm-hmm. mom was an advocate for me. She was in my corner. You know, my mom would say to anyone who would listen, she would say, you know, if my son doesn't learn the way he's taught, well, uh, teach the way he learns. Uh, now, I'll admit that that's a little bit of a paraphrase because when my mom said it, there were a whole <laughs> bunch of F-bombs in there, you know, that, that, I've, that I've edited out for, 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 for the larger audience. Yeah. For the larger audience. Uh, but nonetheless, what my mom stood for, both in my journey, but but – I think in a more um, principled uh, perspective was it's not the person that should change, but the system around the person. Um, and that's a big deal. You know, like it, it, it it's a big deal um, in my life and, 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 and specifically in the lives of, of the neurodiverse, because so much of the professional and cultural narrative is it's a problem in a person. And so when we problematize the person, well, it leads us down to a, a set of, of professional structures to fix the person, right? Um, and that's embodied uh, in our language. That's embodied in, in, in uh, a whole set of professional disciplines that are about pathologizing neurodiversity and fixing it or curing it. Uh, but my mom rejected that. And, and she rejected that 
you know, in 1982. So she was like a little bit ahead of the curve, you know, and she was shamed for that. You know, she was made to feel like she was a bad mom, a bad parent, uh, but she persevered and, and she was an advocate for the system to change and not the person. And so for me, that's been, you know, in my maturation or my, my journey, um, uh, as trying to, you know, make the world a better way in whatever I can, you know, that sort of core philosophy was central to my advocacy around learning, uh, and attentional differences, you know, back in the day when I wrote learning outside the lines, 2000, me and my co-author were constantly, you know, kind of shamed by the international dyslexia association, the learning disabilities association of America for trying to minimize the problem of learning disabilities and ADD. Uh, but we persevered and we kept uh, on the path with many others, you know, professionals, advocates, etc. that this isn't a problem in people. It's a difference. And it's a problem in the way society treats difference. And that's been uh, mm-hmm. central to my work uh, in neurodiversity. But, but, all, but ultimately, it's been central to my work around all marginalized folks. It's not a problem mm-hmm. in them. It's a problem in uh, the way they're treated by systems designed for the myth that we should all be the same. Yeah. And, you know, th- this makes me think of this pinnacle story of when your uh, big bear of a friend made that uh, I- impromptu and impulsive intervention uh, at that group, probably the first eye to eye meeting or what was to be eye to eye. And you guys were called into the office and um, it was a uh, anyways, it was impactful. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that he had the courage to stop faking normal and to be bold and live his different uh, out loud. And and that's an opportunity for all of us because we never know whose life will change by sharing our story. Totally. Man, so pivotal, so pivotal and opened up so many different things for you. It opened up everything, you know, it, 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 it opened up uh, an entirely new relationship to my, to myself, an entirely new, uh, uh, understanding of, of, you know, the, the people I grew up with and in the multiple sort of segregated settings we found ourselves in special ed room, et cetera. And, and it, and it opened up, um, an entirely, uh, new sort of life, life path. For mm-hmm. me. You know, mm-hmm. I was going to go off and be a lawyer, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. that would have, that would have yeah. sucked. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you would have been, uh, rich and, uh, successful, right? Just miserable. Maybe I don't know. Success, yeah. success, yeah. succeeding, but not thriving. Yeah. Yeah. And that was no slight to any attorneys out there. So, um, <laughs> just knowing you, this is just me knowing you that that was a comment, me knowing you, um, so on this theme of, on this theme of, um, okay, normal sucks. Is it a good segue to the story? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is. So, you know, we, we started this, uh, mentoring program called eye to eye and, um, there were, uh, you know, the, the premise of it was, of, uh, was help a young person not feel alone, you know, um, and to, to get a sense of, you know, being valuable in the world. And, um, you know, it, it, it was uh, a place of cognitive dissonance, even for me, you know, are we here to, to, to kind of, you know, help people understand their problem and feel okay about it? Uh, are we here to help them kind of figure out a way to like manage their problem? Um, Cause we were still very much, you know, 21, 22 years old, not even 20. 
And we're still very much a part of that sort of dissonance that was in the culture and still is around different or deficient. And, uh, you know, we were doing this uh, activity and, uh, you know, one of the, the mentors um, uh, pull, w- was split off to, to, to mentor a kid. And uh, as everyone was doing, everyone was having one-on-one conversation. And I was walking around the room and um, I uh, get to this, this mentor and uh, the mentor uh, says to the kid, you know, you have, to, you have to know that normal people suck. And I'm like, what, like, what are you doing, man? You know, like, that's not that's not why we're here. You know, we're here to 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 help people kind of like feel. Well, normal, wasn't, wasn't there an f bomb in there too? Wasn't there? This was like, <laughs> no, I'm just like, I just want to raise the stakes here, right? Like, because this is part of the fight. Like, like there was there, an f bomb in that statement there to was, this little uh, kid. Yeah. yeah, there was some. There was some uh, some colorful language. Yeah, for yeah, sure, yeah, for, for, yeah, for sure. And. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the irony of the story is here, I, I'm thinking, you know, that, uh, that, that this kid's going to be scarred for life. And, 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 the, and the next day I get called to the principal's office uh, and the kid's grandma's there. And, um, and uh, you know, the grandma, you know, tells me all about how this kid would hide under the bed before school, um, would be in tears in the car, begging to go home. And, um, and, and the grandma says the day after the first day of eye to eye, the kid was up early, um, waiting in the car, ready to go to school. And Mm. so it was, um, uh, it was, uh, and that wasn't me, you know, I didn't do that. You know, if anything, I was still in that dissonance of, 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 okay, are we trying to be normal or not? Uh, you know, it was, it was the eye to eye mentor who really rejected normal as a prerequisite for, for personhood and said look this is this is not the the frame that we should be trying to live through um Mm -hmm. and and you know that really uh changed that young person's life but but it was a continuation on my own on my own journey um it was a another sort of gear turn uh that that helped me come to uh, a place in which i uh, celebrated you know my differences opposed to Mm -hmm. hid them and and was Mm -hmm. ashamed of them So you've been doing this professionally for for 20 years. And uh, I think I probably first heard you speak, I'm guessing, about 10 years ago. And so I'm wondering, as you look back on your path, what do you see as the most profound or notable changes in your view of yourself and and your view of the world over these past two decades? Well, I, you know, I think the, 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 the personal evolution from different is not deficient is, is the first sort of monumental shift in, in, in my relationship to myself. Um, I think the second perhaps equally as important shift was a broadening of the circle of concern. Um, and, and, you know, that, that actually occurred in a, in a really sort of um, experiential, tangible way in my life. And what I mean by circle of concern of like, who, who's, who is in my circle? You know, is it me and other people with learning differences? Is it us plus folks with 
with autism, how, how far is that band? Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in exploring that concept, you know, very, very viscerally in my own life, I, I, I wrote this book called the short bus where I bought an old short bus. Um, and for listeners not familiar with what a short bus is, it's the, the vehicle that takes, uh, some, not all, but some young people to, uh, special education settings in, in many districts in America you'll look around your neighborhood uh, and you'll probably see the short bus rolling around. You know, it's pretty easy to see it's the small bus and other kids go to school on the big bus. And uh, it's a, it's a really visceral symbol of, of uh, segregation. Uh, you know, it's one of the last form forms of segregated education left in America. Uh, when it, when it comes to institutionalized segregation, those kids go to this bedroom and those kids don't. And so I bought an old short bus and I drove around the United States and, and, uh, I listened to the stories of people who uh, literally or metaphorically uh, rode the short bus and, and at the same time was wrestling with where does the concept of disability, disability culture, where does that sit within me, my life, myself, my story? And I remember at the time um, telling people that I was going to do this, uh, people in the sort of LD world. And uh, I remember somebody saying, why would you want to go talk to those people? And I was so struck by that and so kind of revolted by that because there's a, 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 a part of the historic sort of learning and attentional difference advocacy world that separated itself from the larger disability rights movement. It would affiliate at times, you know, when it was pragmatic around the passage of the ADA, it would use the systems that the disability rights movement fought for, meaning accommodations and specialized services, but it never claimed uh, allegiance with that community, you know? Um, and, and I was very much in that same place, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, like those people. And the short bus debased me, <laughs> And disabused me of, of those fictional notions, mm-hmm. and I, I I found deep um, uh, resonance. Uh, I found deep knowledge uh, about about the the systems and practices that marginalize people with atypical brains and bodies from the people uh, who I thought I had nothing to learn from. And that's that's the the, the journey, the arc of the short bus uh, as a book, yes, but but more importantly as a sort of gear in my life. And so I think that sort of notion of trying to name and understand institutionalized ableism and normalism. Uh, that's the, that, that is the, the, the apex of my journey, uh, I think, as, as, as a human being, as an advocate. Understanding how notions of the normal human that have historical origins have been embedded in our language, our professions, our systems, our schools, and, and how that notion has been used to disqualify and marginalize entire swaths of human beings. Mm. And, and how tackling that, and it's a, it's a big old challenge, it is really the, 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 the not, not treating the symptom, but really getting at the cause of so much suffering in the lives of people with atypical brains and bodies, yes, but in the lives of people who have historically been left behind. Right, right. That's big. <laughs> Just, just a, just, it's just a, a lot. Little, just, it's just a, a lot. little thing, you know, yeah. just a little thing to think too on here. Yeah. On a, yeah. On yeah. On well, a, it's, it's really important. On uh, a Wednesday morning. Yeah. Really important. 
and um, and then to add a little more to it, you know, uh, those of us who have kids who are neurodiverse, uh, and we're all in different, you know, levels of awareness of our neurodiversity at, as as we're getting older and what that means, and you know, just learning about ourselves. And then I don't know about you, but I didn't really cross my mind that you know, neurodiverse parents have a, you know, I knew it from professionally, but then in my personal life, oh, so I'm going to have some kids that uh, might not be, you know, like, <laughs> hmm, that might have some differences to contend with. Like, okay, man, this adds a whole nother layer of, you know, like what you went through, what you, what the messages you want, what you see your kids going through, the messages that you want to share with them. Like what's, what's, how's that experience been as a father of three? Well, I mean, I, 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 I wrote this book, Normal Sucks, um, subtle title, I know. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I wrote it, you know, as a, as a letter to my kids, you know, um, that, that is the, the frame of it. That is the part of it. Um, and on, on one hand, that was, um, very much, um, about trying to, kind of nest some of these very complicated historic and, and, and system and cultural uh, uh, stories uh, and critique within a more accessible form. A part of that was about, you know, me consciously referencing the sort of long history of social justice writers uh, uh, using the letter form as a way to uh, sort of uh, talk about very challenging and, and at times uh, controversial things in, in, a, in, a, in a way that doesn't put people off. James Baldwin, Frank, famous for, for um, adopt, adapting this form in the height of, of critique around institutional racism. And, and Between the World and Me, uh, one of the seminal texts of, of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, was written as a, a letter to uh, his son. Um, but then more importantly, you know, this was just what I needed to say to my kids, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it's what they needed to know. Um, they needed to know it as, as, you know, privileged, you know, white kids growing up in the suburbs. They needed to know it as, as, uh, folks, uh, because we are all on a continuum of difference, uh, uh, who may find at some point in their life, that continuum of difference pathologized or demonized. Um, and they just needed to know it as, as, as human, as human beings, um, so that they can live a more fulfilled uh, life. And, and I think that at the heart of that, uh, threads back to where we started our conversation, which is, you know, we've, we've, we've been put forth that, you know, the purpose of your life is, 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 is to be this normal person, you know, it's to be, you know, a white upper middle class uh, heterosexual, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. nuclear family, yeah. um, with 2.5 kids, but the 2.5 <laughs> gives you a little bit of, uh, of, of how the emperor has no clothes, because I don't know about you, Dan, but I've never met 0.5 kid. No, <laughs> you know, like no. this thing no. he held up, uh, to us is an impossible ideal. And, you know, we chase it. Uh, and it's like the horizon. We think we're getting closer to it. It just gets further and further away from us. And in the chasing of it, uh, we lose the opportunity to, to to not think about who I should be, but to think about uh, who I really am. 
And it's really that that shift uh, away from the impossible ideal that we're told to embody uh, that normality represents to to the reality that uh, difference is what constitutes our humanity and the ethical um, and the existential challenge to find out who you are, mm-hmm. um, who you want to be um, uh, when you stop chasing the myth of normal. And, and that's, a, that's a challenge. You know, that's a challenge yeah. for, for all of yeah. us, for me as a parent, yeah. um, for, for my kids, for every listener. And I'm not saying that that challenge has an easy uh, resolution. I am saying, though, that the only way to thriving is to really wrestle with um, who you are when you strip away this notion that there's a way you should be. And just that that's a, like, yeah, you said like it's this, it's tough, no matter how old you are, how, how much work you do on yourself. Um, this is, it's tough yet. This is the essential like question. The thing to be thinking about to, to share with our kids is who you are matters. What you want to be matters. What you care about matters. And there are all these expectations and social constructs that are put in place to make us think we need to be a certain way and we need to question them, right? And we need to have courage and stand up for what we think is right, even in the face of some dominant beliefs which um, are taken as truths. And, and we need to, as ever, as ever present truths, you know, they always been and they always will. Well, that's not the case. The mm-hmm. word normal did not enter the English language until the 1860s. It's an mm-hmm. historically contingent construct that emerged within um, industrialization, uh, standardization, when there was an economic imperative to make us more alike than to celebrate what makes us different. And we've come to the end of, of, of that um, economic uh, approach to living. And I think what we need more than ever, uh, and what I try to hold on to in my own parenting, is we need to, to replace the notion of uh, here's your path to a success uh, and we need to replace that standardized notion with cultivating purpose in young people's lives. Yes. You know, one of the things that I that I've heard in my 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 zooms over the last year is, you know, the voices of a um, youth well-being crisis. Um, and while that crisis has um, uh, many origins, um, it, it has an origin in um, the, the the institutionalized debasing of of, of people uh, who don't fit, uh, who have been told they don't fit. Um, its origin is um, up in your neck of the woods, man, this hyper uh, 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 competitive culture um, mm-hmm. where young people um, uh, feel that if they don't have a 4.5 GPA, they failed. I mean, you yeah. know that Stanford uh, Palo Alto High School well, for a time was under 24-hour suicide watch because of a suicide cluster up there. Right. And, 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 and that doesn't work anymore. Um, and what's going to solve this crisis of well-being is is a is a uh, a movement of purpose, mm-hmm. uh, connecting young people to purpose, yeah, uh, and to purpose in their life, and, and to purpose around making the world better. Because this generation knows more than ever that they're facing a climate crisis, they're facing a social justice crisis, um, they've just faced one of the greatest public health crises and lived through it. Um, and, and what's going to what's going to help folks be resilient and persevere is connecting to a sense of purpose and finding a way to contribute. Yes. Hear that everyone purpose. And I, and I, and I just, I love that. Um, the idea of helping our kids focus on 
what they care about and 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 making a difference and this generation is really oriented towards that for all the reasons that 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 you've said um i also just want to throw in here i uh, my wife had sent me a uh this inspirational video by matthew mcconaughey a while back and uh it was about the difference between happiness and joy and how this ideal that we, you know, we think we're trying to raise, ha- we want to raise happy kids. And, and that happiness is this sort of elusive term. But if we can experience joy in the moments, like it's about, it's about joy. And I'm linking joy to what you said with purpose, because with purpose comes joy and comes meaning. And I think what you're talking about is sort of, we're, we're moving the, we're moving the dial a little bit on what what the, what are the metrics that we we might consider when making our daily decisions about parenting and what we say and what we don't say and how we're guiding our kids towards this idea of purpose and meaning and um and, and mattering finding ways to matter instead of just getting through the day trying to be this thing that someone says they should be and can we can we together in in our own parenting, but but the, can we elevate above that and be advocates for new metrics within the system of education? Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I am most heartened by and disheartened by at the same time <laughs> is the fact that over 20 years um, of speaking, I've never encountered more frontline educators who think this isn't working, you know, and want something new. And then what I am most disheartened by is when I ask them what's constraining them day to day from focusing on interests, focusing on purpose, meaning, and passion. What's constraining them on differentiating instruction and being an equitable educator? What I hear across the board is the standardized testing. And we are still wrestling with uh, and trying to unwind No Child Left Behind. Yeah, we are still trying to unwind, and let's be real about this: the a race to the top policies of the Obama and Biden administration, and we are still wrestling with an administration now, the Biden administration, that for a time wanted to continue standardized tests in the midst of a global pandemic. So let's not be um, naive about this not being a bipartisan challenge. Um, we yep. need more metrics that are about not succeeding, but thriving, about purpose, engagement, meaning, competency, opposed to the traditional academic approach to judging our children's work. Thriving, purpose, meaning. Yes. All right, my friend. There's more to go, but we are at that time for the parent footprint moment question. You ready? Uh, I'm I'm born ready, Dan. (laughs) Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your children, and those you love. Well, you know, I've shared, I've shared, I've shared a couple of these with with y'all. in, in, in your previous recordings, but I want to share, share one that was, was sparked today. And, um, you know, I think it, it, it is, it is the moment that, uh, you know, made me the, the parent and, and more important human than I am. And it was the foundation, you know, and one of the things about sort of foundation is, 
it's kind of like planting a seed, right? You, you don't know how long it's going to take to grow. You know, sometimes it, 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 it's slow. Sometimes it, 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 it's, um, it doesn't come when you, when you think it's going to come, but, but it mattered anyway. And so that notion of, of uh, planting a seed in, in your child, uh, that takes a while to grow, but it fundamentally informs them. You know, nothing, nothing uh, in my life embodies that better than my mom. You know, and I already told you all about my mom and, and, and the advocate, advocate that she was uh, for me. But, but I remember a very specific moment in, in my childhood and my journey. Uh, and it was right when uh, I was diagnosed. So I was diagnosed with dyslexia, all this other good stuff, you know, kind of right around third, fourth grade. And when um, I was diagnosed, my mom and I were called into the school psychologist's office to kind of get the test results back. And I'll tell you, the moment me and my mom uh, walked into that office, it was obvious that everybody in the room thought we were getting terrible, tragic news, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. You know, the lights were turned down low. Uh, there was soft jazz music playing in the background. <laughs> there was there was a box of tissues on the table, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, all the mirrors should have been covered because we were there to sit shiva for the death of my normality. You know, <laughs> it was it, it was like a funeral, man. And you know, they proceeded to read the tests out loud. You know, and deficit of this, dysfunction of this, um, uh, executive. Uh, Disorder here, blah, 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 blah. And I remember walking out of that room and uh, turning to my mom and, and saying, you know, mom, is something wrong with me? Am I normal? Mm. And uh, my mom looked right at me and said, Jonathan, normal sucks. <laughs> and, and, wow. and, that, and that was it, man. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that was the seed that took a, a while to blossom. Mm-hmm. Um, it took other people watering that seed, you know, and I want to be clear about that. It took amazing educators uh, in my life. It took many professionals. I, I've, see, I've seen more shrinks than you know, Dan. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it, it, it took a, it took a, a whole community. Um, but nonetheless, she planted that seed. And that's our unique opportunity as parents. You know, yeah. what, what seed do we plant? You know, what is our, what are our core values? Um, is it around different, not being deficient? Let's plant that seed. Is it about challenging the notion of succeeding and replacing it with thriving? Let's plant that seed. Let's also plant the seed that we all have a role to play in, in, in building a more perfect world. And that notion of purpose and contribution, my mom planted that as well. Uh, That's our work. That's our opportunity. And like any opportunity, that's our challenge. Awesome. Awesome. Jonathan, as always, uh, your wisdom, uh, it exudes, your, your wisdom exudes uh, out of you and uh, to all of us. And as someone who is, uh, has walked it, lives it, um, advocates for it, Let's all, uh, everyone listening, let's all join. Let's keep joining. And uh, normal sucks. And uh, we really need to promote the individual as the individual in a healthy, caring collective. Um, Thanks, Jan. Really appreciate it.
Yeah, it's an honor to be a part of uh, the program, but more importantly, a part of, of, of the movement that we are all contributing to. Let everyone know where they can find you and uh, hear where you are speaking uh, still virtually at, at present. Yeah, you know, you can come find me on all the social stuff. Uh, it's all the same handle, Insta, Twitter, etc. It's the, it's the Jonathan Mooney. Folks can come uh, say hi to me on my website. Uh, it's jonathanmooney.com. And I want to reiterate, you know, while we're still in this virtual moment, um, anyone who writes me saying, hey, I want to do a Zoom uh, for, for five folks, um, kids are having a hard time, I'm there. Um, so please reach out. Um, I'm here to be a supporter and amplifier for uh, the, the, the folks on the ground right now really trying to uh, make the world a more inclusive place that doesn't just work for some people, but ultimately works for all people. And you are, you are an amplifier, man. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, everybody. Normal still sucks, and it's going to continue to suck. Check out prior shows. You're, if you liked what you hear, it's, it's more great stuff from Jonathan. Our last show was Normal Sucks, and the one before was No More Shane. You guys know what I'm going to tell you to do. Try to be that person you want your child to become. They're always watching. They're always looking. They're always listening. Be that person. You know where to check us out. You know where to find us. If you've liked what you heard, tell people about it. Subscribe to the show. And as always, I leave you with the guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.